I was telling first service that this is a tough sermon because it's highly technical and highly theological. And it's the kind of sermon where I envision many of you going, so what? You know, like, what's, what's the point? Uh, I love sermons that are practical and application-oriented. I love sermons where every point that I make has a story or an illustration to flesh it out. And this is not one of those sermons. It's not fun to preach. It may not be fun to hear, but it's something that's important. And I believe that the, the application and the ramifications of what we're talking about today are huge. One of the things that we're going to be grappling with today as we talk about God's initiating love, how God draws us to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, is whether God draws everybody or only draws some people. And that's a tough topic because there are very smart, brilliant people that are on polar opposite sides of that. And so again, please understand, I am not trying to convince you to think like I think today or to think how this church thinks, but I'm, I'm asking you to really grapple with the scriptures and to to really wrestle with it and see where God leads you. The passage today is John chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 41 and go to verse 51. So John chapter 6, beginning in verse 41. John says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about Jesus, because Jesus said that he was the bread of life that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Stop there for a moment. Isn't it funny how Jesus never really answers the question that's being asked? It's like, he's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. This is what I want you to know. This is the important thing. Not it, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Verse 44. Continue in 45. It is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God, meaning Jesus. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But I am the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and never die. I am that living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And we know that not so long afterwards, Jesus went to the cross and delivered up his body for our salvation. There's an outline for you in the bulletin if you want to take notes. The points are already filled in for you, but you can take notes around it today. And point number one is that no one can come to God unless God draws them. No one can come to God unless God draws them. And the nice thing is that almost every single theologian or Bible scholar is agreed on this point. No matter what side they choose, whether it's the two polar extremes are Calvinism and Arminianism. Calvinism says you were elected before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by God, and it also means that he chose some and chose that others would never make it. That's the extreme form. The other polar opposite is Arminianism, which says it's all about free will and free choice, and God doesn't really have anything to do about it, it's just whatever we decide. And I believe Scripture is kind of somewhere in between, but again, that's a matter to, to grapple with. 
No one can come to God unless God draws him. Verse 44 says that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. About 20 verses later in John 6, he says something very similar. He says, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Scripture makes it clear that we in and of ourselves would never seek God. We would never find God because of our fallen, sinful condition. Romans 3.12 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, none who seeks God, not even one. A few verses later is when he makes that statement, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question again is whether the Holy Spirit gives only some the power to see God for who he is and to receive him, or whether he gives that to everyone. That's what we want to grapple with today. But repeatedly throughout Scripture, we see evidence of God's initiating love, that he takes the first step. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. John says, we didn't even know what love was until God sent Jesus to demonstrate in human flesh what love looked like. One of the greatest chapters on love in all of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. And you, you heard it, you've heard it read at marriages, weddings, and, and frequently quoted. And I love to tell people that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is really a picture of, of who God is. You could go throughout that whole chapter and substitute the word God for love, and that's, that's really who God is. God is this, God is that. But that chapter talks about God's initiating, unconditional, selfless love, that love seeking nothing in response. Most human love is contractual. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll do something for you, you do something for me. But it's, it's nearly impossible to live agape love, that's the Greek word that's used here, God's love, without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. To be able to love someone seeking nothing in return, to be able to, to forgive when we're wronged, to not keep a record of wrongs, and on and on the, the description goes in 1 Corinthians 13. I love when Paul said in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we've talked about that many times, that it's not like we got our act together one day cleaned ourselves up, made ourselves presentable, and God finally deemed us worthy of His grace and His love. Scripture says that in the midst of our wretchedness, in the midst of our fallen state, in the, in the midst of our sinfulness and our brokenness, God sent Jesus to die for us, to initiate love and grace and salvation. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12.3, he says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And on the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You ever realize that when we're caught up in praise, whether it's here at church or during the week, and we're saying, hallowed be thy name, praise be to you, Lord, that the, even the ability to say that comes from the Holy Spirit. That we don't have that in and of ourselves. It's quite humbling to realize that, but it's also quite affirming to realize, wow, that's the Holy Spirit inside of me championing the truth 
and affirming the truth of what I believe and the truth of what Scripture says. But even the ability to praise God and to affirm His Lordship comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to take a few moments and and really concentrate on a few verses in John chapter 6. One is in our passage, verse 44, and the others are just a few verses before, verse 37 and verse 39 and verse 40. And and listen to these together because these verses are what cause the division and the dissension in the church as to what, what do these mean? How do, we, how do we reconcile this? John 44, which we just read, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. But before that, in verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will I cast out. Finally, verse 39 and 40, he says, This is the will of my heavenly Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. As I look at these verses and passages like this, I I feel like there's only a few reasonable options that are open for us. Really, about three. One option is that God draws everybody and everybody finds him. Everybody finds salvation. In short, this is called universalism. Kind of Christ died for all, therefore all are saved. And I don't want to dwell on that today, but I think that's pretty hard to defend in Scripture. Because Scripture talks about a personal appropriation of salvation. I can buy you a gift. I can wrap it up. I can hand it to you. But it's really not yours until you take it and unwrap it and say, thank you, you know. You might choose to never open it. You might open it and take it back to the store and return it and get cash, you know, because you don't like it. But there's, there's that action of personally appropriating the gift that's given to us. And salvation is like that. God has extended this free offer of salvation by grace, but it's not ours until we receive it. So option number one doesn't really seem valid. A second option, which many smart, good people believe, is that God draws some and not others. All of those who he draws or those who he woos through the Holy Spirit find salvation. And they never lose it because Jesus says that he holds on to them and they don't lose it. It's basically the doctrine of eternal security, which is backed up by many places in the New Testament, including John chapter 10, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and no one has the power to snatch them out of my hand. Because I have them in my hand, and the Heavenly Father has his hand around mine. And some say, well, you can jump out. You know, No one can snatch you out, but you can jump out. But Scripture really affirms that once you give your life to the Lord, it's not yours anymore, it's his. And he has the power to hold on to you. That's the second option. But the question becomes, do some never have a chance? Meaning, God draws some to himself, but from the beginning of time, some just never had a chance. And that's where this position leads. But Jesus says in verse 40, everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. But we know not everyone does, so is it just a few? And I wrestle with that because of verses like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. 
Second Peter 3, 9. You know, God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He doesn't qualify it and say, except for those who never had a chance. And I look at different parables in the Bible, and we'll talk about those in a moment. And so I really see a third option here that our passage is, is I believe, teaching. And again, you don't have to agree with me, but this is the way that I reconcile these passages. A third option is that God draws everyone. He gives everyone a chance. He gives everyone the power and the ability to accept Jesus and accept salvation. But he also gives us the will and the ability to resist or to reject that invitation. And that's precisely why we are held accountable for our choice. Because it's a valid choice. It's not one that was made for us. It's one that we're empowered to make, and without it empowering, we could never make it. But God empowers everyone, and that's why everyone is responsible for what they do with Jesus. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I won't turn anyone away. I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying that everyone who comes to him finds salvation. A lot of religious leaders, a lot of scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus but rejected him. Judas was one of his disciples for three years and sat under his teaching and intimately lived with him and, and, and ate with him and traveled with him but rejected him. But it seems that the job of God and the Holy Spirit is to draw people to Jesus, and we'll talk about that as well. But the will of God is, is expressed in verse 40. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. That's God's will. Everyone who believes in Jesus finds life, and Jesus raises them up on the last day. The question is, do some choose not to believe? And so point number two in your outline, God draws everyone to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I believe that that's true. I don't believe God draws some and not others. I believe he draws everybody to Jesus. Verse 45 seems to say that. It's written in the prophets that they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The job of the Holy Spirit, the job of God the Father, is to highlight Jesus as the sole means of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Jesus said this over and over again in the Gospels. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Unless you accept that I came in the flesh to take care of your salvation, on and on and on. The question is, what do we do with Jesus? John fifteen twenty six. Jesus said this. When the Helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. The job of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, to lift up Jesus, to help us to remember all that Jesus said, everything that he spoke, the truth. Because it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. And as I said earlier, I think there's a number of parables in the Bible that really flesh this out. One is the sower and the seed. Do we ever stop and think about the fact that the sower represents God? God is scattering seed. He's sowing seeds of the gospel. But do we ever ask, why does he scatter seed on ground that he knows will never produce fruit? It says he scattered it in all four different types of soil. The rocky, the thorny, the good soil, and another one I can't think of right now. 
And he knows only the good soil is going to reap a harvest. So why does he bother scattering seed? Because that's his heart. He wants seed to spring up everywhere. He wants everyone to respond. He wants everyone to find salvation. But the the soil represents our hearts. And whether our hearts are receptive to the truth and the gospel or not, that's our responsibility. I think about the parable of the king and the banquet. It's mentioned at least twice in the New Testament. The king is going to have this huge dinner feast, and he invites these guests to come. And they all make excuses for why they can't come. And so finally, he says to his servants, I want you to go out, and I want you to bring the beggars and the blind and the lame and the, everyone, because I want my banquet to be filled with people. And the point is, he opens it to everybody, not just a few, but to everybody. I think about the parable of the servants and the talents. Again, why does the master, who represents God, give talents to people that he knows will never do anything with it? Because it's his desire that they would. It's his desire that they would seek him and be wise and multiply it and be good stewards. If I was the master, I would have given just to the one guy that invested wisely and let him go to town with it. But the heart of the master is to give to all. I think about the parable of the ten virgins in the wedding. All were invited, but only five made preparations and made sure they had enough oil for their lamps. So five got to enter into the wedding feast and five were left behind because they chose not to prepare. And again, to prepare does not mean to be spiritual enough or holy enough or righteous enough. It means to accept Jesus and to be prepared for the judgment to come because we know him and we're covered by his righteousness rather than our own. Finally, again, which I already mentioned, Judas. Why did Jesus ever choose Judas, knowing what the outcome would be? I have to believe Judas really had a chance. He had a chance to respond to Jesus' teaching. He had a chance to be part of God's plan, but he chose not to. And Jesus knew this in his omniscience, but he still chose Judas. So those are a few of the passages that I grapple with that seem to indicate to me that everybody has a chance, not just some. The Bible affirms in John 16, 13 to 14, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. What does he do? Verse 14, He will glorify me, meaning Jesus, and he will take of mine and will reveal it to you or disclose it to you. Again, the job of the Holy Spirit is to lift up Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the answer to salvation. To lift him up and glorify him and to help us remember all that Jesus said, all the truth that he spoke, so that we might remember it and live by it and, and, and apply our life toward it. Just as we discussed in point number one, no one can come to God unless God draws them. But does God draw only some or does he draw everyone? I love that word draw that's used in verse 44. In the original Greek, the language in which the New Testament was written, it, it has a meaning that almost always implies some type of resistance. Meaning that if something is being drawn, there's almost always a force of resistance. In John chapter 21, the word is used of the heavy nets that were drawn to the seashore after they had that, that amazing catch of fish. 
In Acts chapter 16, it's the word that's used of Paul and Silas being dragged before the magistrates in Philippi. And you can imagine that was with some resistance. In John chapter 18, it's the word that's used of Peter drawing his sword from its sheath right before he lopped off the the servant of the high priest. Almost invariably throughout the New Testament, the word draw implies or involves this idea of resistance. Scripture affirms that God can and does draw people to himself. But it also affirms that you and I have the ability and the power to resist that pull. We have that choice. And again, that's why we're held accountable for our actions. The Holy Spirit draws everyone to Jesus. I believe that. In fact, Jesus says that he won't return until everyone has had a chance to see him for who he is. But what we, what, what we do with Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, is up to us. I like what Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, verse 32. He said, if I be lifted up, meaning the cross, I will draw all people unto myself. If I be lifted up on the cross, God will use that to draw all people to me. Does that mean, again, that everyone's going to find salvation? No, we know that not to be true. But it means that everyone has to grapple with the cross. Everyone has to decide for themselves what the cross means. Is this God in human flesh dying for my sins? Or is this just some martyr that, you know, like Josh McDowell and a number of other apologists said, you know, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Either he's lying about who he was and he knows that he's not the Son of God, he knows he's not the Messiah, or he's a lunatic and he genuinely thought that he was from God, but he was just deranged and out of his mind. Or the only other option is he was who he said he was. And everybody has to decide that for themselves. So the last and final point is quite simple, and you know it well, that whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Scripture makes that clear. Whoever believes in Jesus. John 3.16, most of you know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And I love that 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 theme and that message is repeated in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. As John, the Apostle John, is having that vision of heaven and all that's going on in there, he sees he sees. God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the slain Lamb who still has the marks of the crucifixion in His physical body for all of eternity for us to witness what He did. And they say, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who thirsts come. And whosoever will, let them take from the water of life freely. That's the offer. It's an invitation to all, by grace, through the Holy Spirit, to come and enjoy all that God has for us through Jesus. I've said many times that one of my favorite New Testament books is, is the book of Hebrews. We don't know for sure who wrote it, but it doesn't matter because we know that all Scripture is inspired, God-breathed, and so we know it represents God's truth. But Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he, meaning Jesus, is able to save forever 
those who draw near to God through Him because He always lives to make intercession for them. The priests of the Old Testament, sometimes they were good, sometimes they were bad. But whether they were good or bad, they all died. And they had to be replaced. And who knows how effective the new high priest would be at presenting the people's sins before God. You know the legend, they used to tie a rope to his foot when he went into the Holy of Holies. Because if he died in there, who was going to go fish him out? You know? They tied a rope and a bell so they could listen. That's what legend or history tells us. But Jesus is our great high priest who never dies, who never needs to be replaced, whose sacrifice was once and for all, never needs to be repeated, and he lives forever to make intercession for us. So Hebrews repeatedly says, draw near, draw near, therefore draw near. James said that in our last study, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And we draw near through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as they make intercession for us. So some some simple application today. The question I have for you is, where are you today? Where are you today? Have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you ever affirmed that He is exactly who He claimed to be, that He is God's Son, that He is God in human flesh, that He is the Savior, He is the Messiah? And have you not just said that theologically or intellectually, but have you made that your own? Have you ever received Him into your life as your Savior and Lord? And the question is, will you make that decision today if you haven't, or will you continue to resist? The choice is yours. You have the ability. But the New Testament continually says, today, if you hear His voice, today as I've been speaking, if you've heard the voice of God through my human articulation, Scripture says today is the day to respond because you can't count on tomorrow. You can't count on next week. You can't live this philosophy where I'm going to have as much fun as I can and some, someday right before I die I'm going to accept Jesus. Good luck with that. A lot of people have tried that and failed. And the question is, why would you want to? If someone loves you as much as God loves you, why would you want to resist that? I believe that Scripture speaks to the fact that that Christ's death demands a response. Jesus' death on the cross demands a response. You cannot read the Gospel accounts of how He was brutally tortured and how He died on our behalf and be indifferent to that and be apathetic. You can accept it or you you can be strongly opposed to it, but you can't be indifferent. It demands a response. And so again, will you receive that free gift today through grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit? The choice is yours. Let's pray.